back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Aaron Naylor, who moved to Chicago after spending nine years helping to build the Kansas City comedy scene. He was named 2021's Funniest Person in Kansas City by KC Magazine and helped found the Fountain City Comedy Festival. Aaron tours all over the country, thanks to a sweet severance package from Delta. And we should have talked about more baseball, but you live and learn. He's awesome. You'll love him. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook. Go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. I'm peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah. What did I pull you away from? What were you doing today? If we didn't talk, uh, what would you be doing? Looking uh, for stickers to sell on the road. Oh, I was like, I was like, like any kind of sticker? Just any sticker. <laughs> yeah. Anybody's sticker. Yeah. Dole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It can be on anything, too. As long as I, if, it, if it's like on something expensive, then that's better. I can just <laughs> sell it for more money. Have you had good luck with stickers? At shows? I've only had one sticker before, and it did fine. But I, I got a couple new designs recently that I want to put on there. So, yeah, it's exciting to start doing that, start thinking about that again. I struggle with, like, I think it's a confidence thing. Like, mm-hmm. I would love to sell merch, but I think that if I ordered 100 T-shirts mm-hmm. for people to buy, I would end up moving 100 T-shirts to every house I ever have for the next 40 years. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. have the confidence that people will want to buy something with my words <laughs> or my face on it. Yeah. Uh, the way that I combated that was I learned how to screen print like very minimal screen, like not, I'm not good at it, but over COVID uh, when we couldn't do shows, I just got a basic like design and I still use it to this day. So I'll buy like 20 t-shirts and then I think they're like three or $4 a piece when they're not, they don't have shit on them. Uh, and then I make like 20 t-shirts in an hour. And then I, I do pay, pay what you want, but usually people pay like 20 bucks. I noticed that too. Like I, I know a lot of my friends will do like, they'll have an album or mm-hmm. a sticker and say, okay, we'll pay what you want. And normally what are you going to charge for a sticker? $2, $3. Yeah. They feel like, okay, well this is helping. You know, it's like, I'm going to buy this and give you a $5 tip. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I mean, that's that's most of it anyways, even with the T-shirts is they don't want your T-shirt most of the time, but they want to support you. I don't know. They probably know that you're not getting paid all the ticket money. Yeah. Uh, comedy is a scam. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> none of us, none of us get paid what we should get paid. I noticed least, like at least in the Midwest up here, too. And yeah. I noticed like I didn't start making money doing comedy until I started producing shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did. 150 shows last year, just all around upstate New York and Pennsylvania. If it was just me as a comedian, I mean, I'd pay for gas. Yeah. But being able to do the show, I'm like, okay, it's constant. You know, it's like, okay, I, it's there. I got to do the work to do it. But it's like, when you, when you handle the money, you're like, oh wait, no, I can make sure that my cut is going to get there. Like, like I don't have to count on the booker to maybe pay me the $30. You said, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was something I learned because I used to produce shows, a lot of shows in Kansas City. And before, probably like 2019, I never paid myself for them. And sometimes I would put money 
into like the pay to pay the other comics. But after COVID and all this other stuff, I just was like, hey, I'm going to pay myself finally. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. That was the thing for me was just feeling bad about, you know, just getting paid a decent amount to just host it and produce it. But that stuff is tough. And it's like work, you know. Well, I tell anybody locally who's producing anything, I said the most important thing is to pay yourself. Because Mm -hmm. if you run out of money, there's no more show. Yeah. And it's it's a basic thing. But I'm in therapy. And my therapist, Mm -hmm. that was one of the things she told me. It's like, hey, Mike, you have to pay yourself. Yeah. To do this, make sure you're getting. (laughs) It's got to be rewarding. And it was such a fucking easy lesson. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can value my time. It's like, why? Why did I think that I should be the last one to get anything? Yeah. For years. It was still dumb. (laughs) It's, uh, well, yeah, when you finally get that idea, it's like, no, I can't. I don't want to be the guy that pays himself. And then you realize every every producer that's worth a shit pays himself. Yeah. You know what they deserve. So as long as you're not stiffing the other comics, I don't see anything wrong with it. Yeah, I try to be uh, as transparent as possible. Like, hey, this is the percent I'm taking. This is what you're going to get. Plus whatever, if we sell more at the door. And some people don't like it, but I found that if I have a tip jar out too, then mm-hmm. I can always pay more than I promised. Oh, yeah. And I think that's sure. helped. And yeah. it might only be three or four bucks. <laughs> it could be 50, but it adds up for sure. And I think yeah. what, what it does more than anything else is that model gives me like goodwill. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, well, I know I'm only going to do Mike's show for 75 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever it is, but there's a good chance I'm going to walk out with 115. So, yeah. yeah, I'll drive 20 more miles because mm-hmm. I know, you know, he's going to do right by me. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. When did you start doing stand up? Uh, I just hit 10 years. So, 2013. Does it feel uh, like it's been 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's uh yeah the past few years have been incredibly uh eventful and fun and full of road stuff and work it finally feels like a job which sucks (laughs) i hate it (laughs) do you remember your first open mic like what the feeling was like uh yeah it was at laughs comedy cafe in tucson uh which is still around it was you know it's fucking that's the desert it's like 100 degrees outside even in january and I was sweating. I remember I I took a shot of Jägermeister before I went up. I think that was the last time I drank Jäger, which, yeah, makes a lot of like early 20s. Of course, that should be the last time you drink Jäger. And then I, I had my like lineup in my head, like on my, my set list in my head. And then I made it through three jokes and I pulled my set list out of my pocket and it was drenched in sweat. Oh, my God. I completely forgot all my jokes and then read off the set list for two and a half more minutes so it was great I had a good time <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun <laughs> what got you on stage a second time i don't know yeah i really don't because i i mean i i liked it obviously and some of the jokes did well so probably that just knowing that some of them did well and that i had more that i wanted to say because i just do one-liners mostly so it was just silly little jokes but yeah i wanted i wanted them to work for me Mostly, I don't really care about the audience. I just want, <laughs> I just want to be funny to me. I've noticed, like when I'm writing, because I'll do one-liners, and then hopefully I'll get them to go and segue into like a not a deeper joke, but like a longer mm-hmm. joke or a yeah. story. And I've noticed that when I really think a joke is funny, nobody else does. 
And really? Like, yeah, it's it's weird. Like <laughs> if I if I write a joke and I laugh about it, I'm like, oh, this is doomed mm-hmm. because like it's stupid, <laughs> but it's like right up my alley. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's so niche that I'm like, well, I think I, like you know, it breaks my heart a little. Well, yeah, I know. For me, if I write something and I, it's not that I I laugh. Sometimes I've laughed when I've come up with them because they're just kind of goofy. But some of them, it's like it's like a math problem in my head, like this plus this equals punchline kind of stuff. And if it makes if it makes my brain like click, then I'm in my head. I'm just like, this is going to be a good joke. This is going to work. And some of them, I mean, most of the time, I feel like I'm at least close to right. But some of them have crashed and burned so hard that you know it's like finding out your kid is really stupid <laughs> you know and you got to put him down or whatever <laughs> I, i'm not sure that's what you do with stupid kids i don't know <laughs> i don't know anything <laughs> i'm so, dumb i should have been put down <laughs> when did you think you were funny like when were you first told okay and then thought hey maybe i should let everybody else know i don't know i don't remember i remember like in high school i was kind of funny because i was like a short fat kid and I got picked on a lot. So I just would like, you know, turn it around on them. Yeah. And that worked. And then I became like, cool. because I wasn't a pussy. Right. But I don't really know. Honestly, it was just like, I liked comics who told kind of smart, clever jokes. And I thought that I could do that or at least try. And I've done that for 10 years. I don't know if they're smart or clever, but to me, they're fine. And that's all I need. <laughs> I've got a lot of confidence. <laughs> How old are you? Which now? doesn't really help. Thirty-two. Okay, so you're so you're twenty-two when you started, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm running timeline. So I'm guessing Dimitri Martin hit you pretty hard. Dimitri, yeah, I loved Dimitri growing up. But when I first started writing jokes, like a couple months before my first open mic, I saw Stephen Wright's special on Netflix when it was still on Netflix, and I saw that, and I was just like, I could do that. Because that's just like, you know, he Dimitri does it a little different where it's not as concise. Like, yeah, it's more open ended one liner kind of stuff. Like, here's a joke and here's the rest of it. But Stephen Wright would just say the sentence and it was it. I love that. I love like saying the most I can with the least amount of words. That to me is the coolest shit you can do. Well, his stuff is so iconic, too. Like people repeat it years and years. And yeah. Years. Yeah. Well, and I like I seen his stuff on the internet just like his quotes like his joke quotes but i'd never seen his actual act and i saw that i mean that the last special he had was in like 2006 he hasn't done shit since which because it's hard to come up with these jokes <laughs> it's well, really he, difficult <laughs> and he still tours all the time mm-hmm. yeah i've i've there's like bootleg audio files of his sets on youtube that i've found just digging through stuff and i mean he just he does the same jokes from 40 years ago, sometimes 20 years ago. And then he throws some new stuff in and it's always like 15 minutes of new stuff. So it's, it's never enough for an album, but yeah, I get it. Like I've, I've gone 10 years and I probably, I have like a special, an album's worth of good material. I think that I would consider good. These jokes are incredibly hard to write. (laughs) And I don't know how, I don't know how people like tweet every day, let alone come up with good jokes all the time. Yeah. And like, you think like insane. You'd think like you'd save those tweets. It's yeah. Like, okay. Let's not let anybody see these. I'm going to go on yeah. stage with that. Yeah. You could, they could do so much. People are like sincerely very funny on the internet and they just don't ever do stand up. And it's crazy to me. Did you ever but, see Gilbert Gottfried live? Or did you ever work with him? Never. No, never. I always thought it was like a rite of passage. Like every comedian will eventually work with Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. And the booker 
is an idiot. He had like five mm-hmm. openers. And I'm oh like, what are you, I was like, what are you doing? So we all got like five minutes. I think uh, uh-huh. the producer got 15 because why not? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so I get it, man. I produce shows too. I understand it. But Gilbert was great. He did like 40 minutes, maybe 45. Uh-huh. And there was an intermission in the show too, which classic it killed me but (laughs) i didn't produce it so whatever but Uh gilbert did well he got a stage and i'm up in like this theater with you know the masses and Mm -hmm. they're walking out and i heard an older guy go man i i heard the same stuff in like 1985 really yeah but again like it's gilbert godfrey like you're going there for the experience of seeing gilbert godfrey and yeah 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 whatever i'm just gonna do the same stuff and it Mm-hmm. It works. I mean, it all kills See, and he yeah. gets paid. That's the stuff that kind of drives me crazy because in your head, like if you're in like a writing rut or something, I've been in a writing rut for at least for jokes for years at this point. It feels like fucking decades. I'm lucky if I write five good jokes like a year. But like you get in your head when you tour or when you're doing like the same venues or whatever, like, oh, I can't do the same material. They're going to fucking you know drag me through the streets and cut my head off and jerk me off into my own mouth or whatever <laughs> and uh which nobody ever wants but yeah. it never mat no but it never matters it doesn't right. it's never mad especially for somebody like me who's not on tv or anything like i don't know why i worry about shit like that but it really freaks me out for no good possible reason well i host every show i produce you know unless it's a women's show and i've only hosted mm-hmm. one of those and I had this pressure. It's like, like I put it on myself. It's like, I'm doing a monthly show and I have a weekly show. Like I've got one tonight and every week I try to come out with different material, not, mm-hmm. not all new. I mean, hopefully I can get some new stuff to work at a mic sure. and come over. And this weekly show kind of works as a secondary mic. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well it kind of worked at that mic with comedians. Let's see if it works with an audience and we'll develop it. Yeah. But even then I'm like, well, these guys have heard that joke eight months ago. Can mm-hmm. I bring it back? Will they be mad at me? They don't give a fuck because they don't care because most times they're not there to see me anyway. Mm-hmm. They're there to see the rest of the lineup. And I'm like, Oh, I, but it's hard as a performer. I feel like I'm cheating them out of the zero money they're giving me. Yeah. <laughs> You're cheating them out of their time. Yeah, basically. yeah. That's how, that's how highly I think of myself. It sucks. It's really, um, it's a bummer because we're all not all. I mean, most comedians are so downtrodden on themselves, especially. So any, any little reason to get like a lack of confidence, it just gets exploded into this huge problem that we'll never get rid of. (laughs) Even if you go to therapy, even if you get help, it's, it always like sneaks back. Like, Oh, they didn't like that joke. And then you're like, Oh, well it's because two people were here three months ago and they heard that same joke. And duh, why would it work? They don't like it. I get so down on myself. About a year ago, my girlfriend and a friend of mine, they threw for my 39th birthday, they threw a funeral Mm -hmm. and it was a a funeral and it was ended up being a roast. It was really fun. Uh And the reason they did that, the primary reason was that every three or four weeks I get down. I'm like, yeah, nobody likes me. They only talk to me (laughs) because I produce shows and they're like, okay, well, we're going to do this. And they, they filmed it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, every time you get down, you can watch this. And then like I said, you know, this is temporary, right? And they're like, what do you yeah. know? I go, in three weeks, I'm going to be convinced these people 
hate me still. And they're like, no, I go watch. And it like clockwork. I'm like, yeah, like I am convinced that everybody hates me. My relationship with everybody is transactional. So it doesn't matter. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've kind of come to accept that at least like your comedy friends, there is always going to be a bit of your relationship that's purely transactional. And I don't, I like, like, I don't mind. Cause I, you know, like in, in Kansas city, my friends will hit me up about like road stuff and who to talk to in these cities. And I want to be the person that they go to for that. You know, it's like, why, obviously I did all this shit to better my own career, but also like I can help my friends and I'll help them. So in that way, you know, it, it's, transactional and i don't mind being exploited or exploiting people to an extent right because com i mean producing shows is kind of exploiting people anyway in some way shape or form but like you know you book somebody who's got like followers on something yep obviously you book them because they have that you're you're probably friends with them you know i got some friends like that who just blew up on the internet and i'm like well i I at least know this show will sell out yeah Uh, and and they know that too i'll book people and i'm open about i'm like there are times mm-hmm. where I book people and it's not that I don't like their material, but I'm booking them primarily because a lot of people like you and yeah. you're going to bring 17 people to this show and yeah. I'm That's not huge. selling tickets really well. So I kind of need the mm-hmm. help to extend this show another month. <laughs> so yeah. it absolutely works like that. And if that was me, if I was being asked to do that, I'd be like, yeah, of course I want to do that. I have the power. I would love to do that. That's a good position to be in as a comedian. Yeah, um, I always get jealous of people who can bring in that, like they mm-hmm. have that organic support. And I'm like, I live in this town. And yeah. <laughs> I told I told my therapist today, like, yeah, a buddy of mine, you know, he got 20 people to go to this comedy competition. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think I can get 20 people to come to my birthday party. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, and these are people I'm related to. And they won't yeah. go. So I get so jealous of that that position. And I'm like, I uh-huh. wish I could use that. As just a marketing tool for my career. Yeah, it's a uh, God. Comedy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the coolest thing in the world. It stinks. <laughs> what led you to Chicago? Uh, one of my buddies had a, an incredibly cheap room, so I, I was going to go to New York. I was thinking New York City because it was finally time. But uh, yeah, I threw a wrench in, into that and hit the road to Chicago. So how do you like it? It's cool. I like it. I've mostly been on the road the past few months, but yeah, it's good. I'm slowly but surely like becoming a part of the scene. If you're on the road for a while, does it matter where you live? I'm, I'm coming to find that note, doesn't it? Okay. And I don't know, like in Chicago, it, most of the shows are showcases, so it's only, you're only going to get 12 minutes, 15 minutes tops, and that's kind of a drag. So eventually my plan is to have most weekends booked on the road. And then the weekdays booked in Chicago just to keep me like on my toes and trying out new stuff. Right. Cause yeah, it's, I, when I first moved out here, the first month I had, I did like 10 shows, I think all here and they were fun, but it was like, Hey, you're headlining the show. And I was like, okay, how much time do you want me to do? And they were like 12. <laughs> I was like, great. And then they, I wouldn't get paid for it. <laughs> it's like, the fuck is going on? <laughs> how is this a pro? How is this a thing that's still going on in 2022, you know? Um, and now 2023, because so, it's definitely still going on. But it, it, that's kind of the problem with some of these big scenes is that there's no checks and balances for stuff like that, which sucks. So what was it like in Kansas City? I mean, how different was it? Uh, it was me and like a handful of other people that kind of started the independent 
the scene and really made it worth the shit. Because when I moved when I moved back there and started there, and towards the end of 2013, there was nothing. There was two clubs, and all the independent stuff was in Lawrence, Kansas, which is where like the University of Kansas is. So yeah. it's like a college town stuff, which that was cool, and that kind of helped us like have a blueprint for what to do in Kansas City. But now it's you know there's shows four nights a week. There's an open mic every night. It's good. Yeah, it's a good spot to like work the road if the smack dab in the middle of everywhere. But yeah, I love Kansas City. I can't recommend it highly enough. So back in 2013, mm-hmm. how much was in place at all? I mean, did you guys have a mic? Or when you came in, there, did you yeah, say, so okay, there were something? Well, there were like four mics, probably three or four mics in Kansas City. But yeah, I mean, there was the occasional one-off like Saturday show or suburb show, whatever. But yeah, there wasn't anything really like substantial. And then I started running shows in 2015, 2016-ish. And then a couple like independent places opened up that specifically did comedy shows, which helps a lot. So yeah, it was just a very, it was a very slow build up to like this past year, we did uh, our first ever independent comedy festival, the Fountain City Comedy Festival. And I've done like over 30 comedy festivals. So I was like, one of the co-founders and have a hand in it, but it was really, really good. Like it was very well supported and I was incredibly blown away by uh, how good it actually was. So yeah, it, it, it finally came like culminated to that and it's only getting better. Is Steven Taylor doing the fountain city too? Yeah. He and I originally came up with it and then we got like Kaylee Carr and Carlos Shimon and some other people to really do the, because while, while they were doing most of the work, Steven and I were on the road like for a month shitting around getting drunk in the south <laughs> and you know almost dying a bunch so we were very happy to have other people do the job for us yeah steven's still there and he's kind of he runs a lot of stuff still yeah he he came up to new york and i tried to get him a show but i think when when people hear i'm from new york mm-hmm. new york's a big state but it's like yeah when they're going to new york city i'm like i don't think you know where yeah where I am. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's more town. Yeah, I was like I was like, well, I'm three hours away from where you are now. Uh-huh. And my shows probably aren't gonna pay you <laughs> what you need to go six hours mm-hmm. to him back. Yeah. So I was like, all right, but I talked to him, he was great. He he was I think he was taking out his garbage or cleaning uh-huh. a litter box or something like that. I'm like, all right, man, I'll go with you. Cause he just took his phone. I'm like, all right, let's go for a ride. It's fun. He's a great guy. No, oh, he's one of my best friends. He rules. Was it tough for you? I mean, knowing how much work you put into that scene, was it hard for you to leave? Well, yeah. I mean, the year before I moved here, I moved to Tennessee. I had a girlfriend there, and she was kind of doing the same stuff uh, in Knoxville that I did in Kansas City, where she was, like, building the independency and making it a place. So I had already, like, moved before I moved. So it was a little easier the second time. But, yeah, it's still incredibly difficult. Luckily, I... You know, I'm, I'm able to make it down there a lot when I'm, you know, and pretty much hop on any show or like club show or whatever. It's good because I can I can travel pretty cheap. We got place to stay, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, yeah, I got to stay with my parents, <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot of fun. <laughs> I got to figure that out. They live like 30, 40 miles north of Kansas City. So it's always like a drive, but they live right by the airport. So it's really easy. But yeah, next time I might just stay with Steven or somebody else <laughs> instead of fucking around with them. <laughs> <laughs> like my girlfriend asked me, like, she's like, well, where do you want to live? 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I didn't create anything in Binghamton. Not like you guys. Like I came here, I started seven years ago and there was already a mic established and it had gone through a transformation and we had people already went to New York city and they were coming back. So like the only thing I did was I kept the mic going Yeah, and I started booking more shows. Like I'm confident in saying that I produced the most shows of anybody in New York. Like I've got monthlies all over the place and I produced 138 shows last year all over New York. And like, I'm booking a lot of people. So I feel like I have a responsibility to this area. Like if I left, I'd be fucking over people where I wouldn't, but like, that's, that's the mindset. It's like, it's like not paying yourself. Like, I feel like I owe people here this and I don't, but I, I will have a hard time separating myself Mm -hmm. uh, from that ideal. Yeah. I mean, I, I had the same thoughts because when I moved this time, I was running three or four shows and I've got them all covered now. Like they have new hosts and they're doing better than they were before, which is great. But eventually, I think you you reach a, a point where you're just like, I've done all I can do here, you know, and because that, that's been tough for me was just like putting my my own career first instead of building up Kansas city. I mean, I still do a bunch of stuff for Kansas city. I don't fucking live there. <laughs> it's like, why, why do I do that? Cause I don't want to see somebody else do it worse than I did it mostly. Well, you came um, to mind because like I saw that you were promoting and maybe I'm wrong, but you have a newsletter with everybody's shows. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. And- so I, I, I mean, that's something I've wanted to do. I've, I've wanted to have the show, like the amount of shows in the city, enough of them to do something like that or to have like a website. Originally we wanted to do a website and this was years ago, but that's just too much work and too many cooks in the kitchen. But yeah, this newsletter, I just throw it together myself. I, I mean, it takes like three days of work. It's, it's complicated and it's hard too, but it's just me and it's fun. And every month I get to see how, how much Kansas city is like grown, which is cool. And then hopefully that helps it grow a little bit more. Yeah. Do you feel like you're doing that in part because like you feel bad for leaving them? No. Well, I don't know. I let somebody else do one while I was gone. Cause that was one of the things that I tried to like, you know, give off to somebody else and they did one and it was really bad. Right. And I was just like, I'll keep doing this, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, no offense to that person. Cause they, I didn't tell them, like, I was just like, do whatever you want with it. But they had to send it to me so I could put it on the the Mailchimp whatever newsletter thing, and it was just nothing. Like it was it wasn't worth looking at. So yeah, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I don't feel bad about leaving Kansas City because I don't owe them anything. Like every, I'll, I'll go back there. Like I'm going back next week, and yeah, I'll do like a mic or a show, or I'll go back there and take one of the guys or somebody else on the road for a few, like a weekend or something. And I, I owe it to like my friends to like help them out. I don't owe it to them, but you know they deserve it. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, because I want to help them, and also they have a car. <laughs> I don't have a car anymore, <laughs> so <laughs> in that way, I am using them, but also they're using me. right. That's right. There you go. Yeah, it's, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it kills me. Like I like as a producer, there are funny people up in upstate New York. Not all of them have cars. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know how you function. I don't know how you do comedy in this type of area without a car. So what I have yeah. to do is like when I 
meet somebody like they'll ask me, you know, Hey, uh, I'd like to do your show. And one of my first questions is, do you have a car? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it's no, I'm like, that's fine. But now I have to book somebody yeah. from your town who you also get along with. To get, so I, I find, I'm asking people in Rochester, Syracuse, Ithaca, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll find like a mutual party. And I'm like, all right, what do you think about him? What do you think about her? Yeah. Do they get along with others? I'm like, I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm fishing for information. I'm being this drama guy, but I'm like, no, I just want to know that they're okay to be booked together. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I wish just everybody had a car. It would make my job a lot easier. I don't know how anybody without public transportation does comedy at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know that like they'll get people to drive them around and stuff, but that wears people out after a while. I can't uh, ask for rides. Like if I, yeah. if my car is in the shop, my mom will not help at all. I told her <laughs> my, my mom does not want me to comedy at all. And really, she, yeah, she and like, Hundreds of other people who've seen me. They don't want me to do comedy. <laughs> but I said, Mom, like it was like 2022. But yeah, it was last year, uh, 21. And I was like, my car just died. And I said, hey, I need your help with a cosign. Hmm. And she's like, no. And I'm like, why? She goes, <laughs> she goes, well, why don't you just quit comedy? And I'm like, or <clears throat> or you can give me a ride. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, but that was. That was her solution was, why don't you just quit? That's I'm crazy. Like, okay, thanks, Ma. But, no, <laughs> yeah, but thanks I, for the support. Yeah, but I'm like, I couldn't imagine having to, for months or years, ask somebody for a ride. No, I'm lucky in that whenever I go back to my parents, my dad, he's never had a new car in his life. He's one of those guys that like digs through Craigslist ads and uh, eBay and finds a bunch of old shitty, like, at one point he had... Two 1990 Dodge Dynasty cars for no. Well, he had one as a body car that he could use for the one that worked if okay. anything broke down. Gotcha. Why? Why? Yeah. Buy yeah. a fucking car that's like <laughs> made after I was born. But like now he's got two trucks and my grandpa's old Buick. So whenever I go back to town, I get to drive the Buick. Which is <laughs> what year is like it? A- 1995 probably i don't even know i mean it's huge it's one of those grandma i think all of our grandparents had a buick at one point yeah well they had to survive the crash that they were inevitably going to get into <laughs> god it was just that was, just metal <laughs> yeah it's crazy it's got like heated seats and everything it's great that's I've, but, listen i've got a 2022 i still don't have heated seats really yeah so you're, you're driving around in luxury Blown it. <laughs> well the, the seats are heated because the car is overheated <laughs> It makes sense. Whatever. It's, it's about ready to blow up. That's why it's hot. It dri- yeah. If it drives, you know, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> when did you feel comfortable on stage? Probably, uh, God, two or three years in. You know, like, I remember at a certain point, because I would usually just go up there with a set list and just rattle them off like a mm-hmm. script. But at a certain point, I got really bored with that and just started, like, goofing around on stage. Like, I'd throw my notebook at the wall. I'd do crowd work and... At that point, I felt like the more I did that, I felt more comfortable and more in control of what I can and can't do. And now I tell people, you know, skip the script and just kind of fuck around and have fun. I was doing one liners for a while and I started doing stories and they didn't go anywhere. And Mm -hmm. I thought they did, but whatever. They didn't have enough punchlines and people didn't give a fuck. So I switched to doing one liners mainly because I needed to learn how to write a joke. Yeah. And you live and die. I mean, every one liner is different, but like 
if you can't write a punchline, you're fucked. So that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> and then I would like, well, I get this one to work, then maybe I can expand. But I always mm-hmm. try to start with that one liner. And yeah. I remember I had a bunch and I was, I had so much fun writing them. Now I, I don't remember if all of them worked. I'm sure not all of them worked, but like, yeah, if I had like a large chunk that, that was good to go. But I was told that when I was doing these one liners, I was like robotic because uh-huh. I wanted the wording to be precise and I wanted the inflection to be right where it needed to be. Yeah. And then it became like I was reading off a script. And the best thing I probably did was like go away from that a little bit and like yeah. just laugh while I said it. Or if you, you know, can show the audience that you're human at all, it changes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, w- I would start riffing after the jokes. Like if it didn't do well, I would riff on it. I mean, just letting myself you know, do whatever I wanted on stage was all I needed. Also, I was getting longer sets, so I needed to fill time. And I just started writing on stage more. And it's so much easier than writing in your bedroom alone. Yeah. It's more fun. It's more interesting. And it's cooler, like, when it happens on stage and it it works. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have that forever. Even if you didn't record it, you're going to... I mean, I'll, I'll remember it. Like, saying the joke will trigger that ag whether I wrote it down or remembered it or not. And that, that fucking, that's powerful. (laughs) I love that. I love that feeling. I looked through my notes recently and Mm -hmm. I can't believe I wrote this down, but I had a joke that I, and I don't remember the joke, but I remember I wrote a bomb line into the joke. And I'm thinking like, like it was something like, like that joke worked perfectly at home. What the fuck did you guys do? Like, it's your fault. Yeah. Something like that. Uh But I'm like, I'm like, if I had so little belief in the actual joke that I was going to write a bomb line for it, why Before do the joke? Yeah. Why do the joke at all? It made no sense. Well, that's kind of like, yeah, like like I mentioned before, like I sometimes I know I have an idea of if the joke's going to be good or not. Yeah. But obviously I don't know. So I, I, I hold off on any real criticism about the joke before I tell it. Because you, you get so beat down by jokes that you think are going to be good that don't do shit after trying them for you know, seven or eight years. Yeah. That you, you give up hope until you can actually get to you know, tell the joke. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what's filled my hour almost. Like I probably have 20 minutes of just riffing on jokes like together, which I didn't have like two years ago, which is crazy. And I assume you only get that by doing live shows like you can't you can't write the riff no no you can't it's just yeah just trying to fill time in weird little podunk towns in the midwest where they don't give a shit and instead of you know wallowing on stage about how the show sucks and your career is going nowhere uh you can just like add shit to your jokes (laughs) it's worth it it's good i had i had a joke a lot of my jokes i've been telling for years now and I have one joke that I've probably been telling almost nine years. And I just a year ago or so got a tag for it that has now made it the best joke in my entire set, which before it was it wasn't there, but it was it was probably top 10. But now it's like it's getting like claps and fucking all this shit. And I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't just fuck around with it. Right. But it's, it's important to, you know, like I said before, throw away the script and just see how good you can be, you know, without a net. I had uh, jokes where, and most of my jokes are fairly short. They're mm-hmm. like 
two or three paragraphs. Like, <laughs> like they've got a few last line left lines on them. Well, intentional, like they're intended yeah. to be laugh lines. Do they work sure. all the time? No, but there was one show where I opened up to the crowd and it was just something really dumb. Like, <laughs> do you celebrate your cat's birthday? And somebody said, no. And I'm like, why? And she said, well, my cat's adopted. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it works. And I riffed on that. And then I was like, oh, that's perfect. Because all I have to do with the next show is say, yeah, I asked this question one time and then replay the conversation. Yeah. And now it kills. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it's a joke that I had maybe for, I don't know, not that long, maybe six months. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It was new life. And yeah. when you have that happen, does it just re-energize you completely? <laughs> Like, okay, now I'm excited to tell this joke again. Sometimes, yeah, like, <laughs> but I've had this thing too where I'll tell a joke that I really like. And I, it's one of those that just never gets its due, I guess, for whatever reason. Every now and then it like crushes, but most of the time it's very subtle. And then I'll tell the tag and it will destroy. And all I'm thinking in my head is like, why didn't you like the fucking joke? <laughs> no, like I'm such a, like a, psychopath about these jokes that like it hurts it sincerely hurts my feelings that people like the tag more than the actual joke it drives me insane it's such an ego trip bullshit thing that i've got but yeah i've i've got a handful of jokes like that and i'll never understand it but do you, whatever at least i made it funny now <laughs> you know do you see the tag as like a cheat yeah <laughs> absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. i mean if the joke is good it's a cheat too but yeah I see it as a very frustrating thing that I do that works <laughs> that I have to live with <laughs> or throw the joke out. <laughs> What's your feeling on callbacks? I love callbacks. I don't have any, but I love them. <laughs> I think it's like magic. <laughs> I do too. I, I love them. Anytime, but, yeah. But I'm like, oh, anytime you know, my you friends like tags. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I'm such a fucking idiot. I'm like a purist about this shit and I, I don't want to do extra work. Um, I don't want to put thought. That's probably why I'm barely working now in the winter. I don't want to put actual thought into these jokes outside of thinking of them initially. So a callback just bewilders me. I used to do, I used to open with, I have a great memory uh, and the rest of them are terrible. And then later (laughs) on in the set, I would like kind of act. It's a great joke. I would act like I'd forgotten what was next. And then I'd say, I'm just going to start over. And then I would just say the first half of that joke where I, I have a great memory. And then that would get a laugh. Right. And that's magic. You know, it feels like you're doing magic when a callback works. Yeah, I love them. Fucking anytime one of my friends does one and it's really good and it crushes, I'm just like, how did you do that? It's yeah. amazing. Probably the coolest thing. I love it. I have a few jokes where like I I feel like these jokes are married to each other. Like if I if I do that, yeah. Baloney joke. I have to do the Walmart joke because they kind of run mm-hmm. together, but like not really. They are standalone, yeah. but I feel like they work better together. Yeah. And well, like, they run together because you've created this bridge in your brain about like where they meet. Yeah. Even though there's nothing because I do the same thing. Uh, it's just that structuring your set and it's incredibly difficult to even think about not doing them all together, you know. It's an existential nightmare <laughs> every time. Yeah. I saw Demetri Martin live one time. And one of my favorite parts about watching a one-liner comedian and knowing that, you know, not to his level, but I did one-liners as well. I do them. Mm-hmm. When I saw Demetri Martin tell a one-liner joke in a theater in Albany and 
12 people got it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of how it should be because <laughs> he doesn't know. And he probably has taken that joke all over the country and is probably telling it for him and those 12 people. Yeah. And I'm like, that yeah. is awesome. And, you know, it's probably not going to make the special, but he's like, fuck it. No. Let's see if it works in Albany. I love that process. Yeah. I mean, I've done comedy everywhere in this country and it's every every good like good joke I have does differently everywhere else. And it's it's really bizarre. Like how how different the South can be from like Colorado or you know like Texas is a fucking nightmare but any how different Texas can be as opposed to Arkansas. Yeah. You know, it's it's so strange how people take these kinds of jokes and how they like process them. Some people don't even process them as jokes, which is really interesting. Those are not my fans. <laughs> oh, they hate me. <laughs> so was it just Stephen Wright influenced you? And like, did you ever try to do like a storytelling set or a different type of joke? I mean, I've done storytelling shows and people are always surprised when it would be funny which I thought was kind of interesting because I'm like, I'm a comedian too. <laughs> like I can still talk. <laughs> I just don't like saying, you know, talking about my actual life or whatever, but no, I'm a lot of my one liners started out as longer jokes anyway. And then I just kind of whittled them down. But now it's just like, I think in one liners or short jokes, not one liners. Right. All the time. Yeah. I'd, I'd kind of think in tweets, which sucks, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've tried to tell some stories and like, be a little more open like if it's related to a joke or something but it's just it works a few times and then i just kind of hate it after a few months of doing it so i take it out but they're just fun they're too fun to stop doing i think i love coming up with these stupid little things it kind of bothers me and i understand the process but it kind of bothers me when i have this story i'm working on <laughs> and then i'll look at it and i'm like well that part works that part doesn't that part works maybe i don't have a story I yeah. have a short joke. And I'm like, but I, I really thought I was going to eat up four minutes. Here. I want a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, like no matter what I do, like it's so dumb. And I might tell the joke tonight because fuck it. Why not? But sure. I wrote, a, I'm a big sitcom guy and huh. I love, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and I'm a huge Saved by the bell fan. Yeah. And it's like, I think it happened in 2017 or 18, but Dustin diamond stabbed a guy in a bar. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, all right, let me see if I can write a story on this or a joke. Because I was stabbed, too. And I'm like, mm -hmm. let me see if there are any parallels. Right. So rather than talk about me, I want to talk about Screech. So, But I'm like, all right, so let me see if I can do this. And I had this story. And it wasn't so much a story as, like, a bunch of jokes about it. And, like, mm -hmm. I would say half of it works. And it's defeating. Yeah. And I'm like, come on. Like, I want to. I think it's funny. Why Why don't you think it's funny that Screech stabbed yeah. the motherfucker? Like, come on. What can you do? And I, I think it was like like uh, one of the jokes is thousands of people got pictures with Screech. Millions of people get stabbed, but only uh. one guy got stabbed by Screech. That's the Michael Jordan of stabbing. And like that part worked. And I'm like, but I need more out of that. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's like uh, it's like you're burying part of a family. It's like, okay, you get to survive, but it your sucks. brother, your brother's dead. Yeah. It sucks. Every year I've got one of one of my jokes that I love that has never done well. So every year I'll try it four or five times and then I just get reminded that I like it, <laughs> but nobody else. Right. Every fucking time. And it drives me crazy. But there's nothing I can do about it now. I've just kind of given up. And if I want to say it, sometimes I'll say it. 
And, you know, like I said before, I don't really care about what the crowd thinks, but at a certain point I've got to during in a show, like I can't just keep telling jokes that only I think are funny. Yeah. But if I could, I would 100%. Yeah. Just say a bunch of, I wouldn't have written it down. If I didn't think it was good. There are times where I'll get a compliment about a joke and then like, it'll be from a friend of mine or another comedian, especially like an out of town comedian. And then I'll go mm-hmm. and do that joke somewhere else. And it bombs horribly. And yeah, I'm like, do they not like me? Like, was this a ruse? Like, are they <laughs> are they trying to hurt my feelings later? Yeah, because it's working. Yeah, yeah. I stopped listening to comedians when they tell me I, what jokes they think are funny. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I couldn't care less. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I hope you think it's funny, but <laughs> are you paying the ticket? <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Buy a sticker. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes from a comedian in this area. His name's Bill Lake. He does a lot of one-liners and he retired this joke because I think I'm the only person who thought it was funny, but I loved it. And he, I, something like a friend of mine asked me what superpower I could have. And I said, <laughs> 1980s Soviet union. Yeah. And I loved it, Classic, but it never worked. <laughs> That's a great joke. Yeah. And it I'm like, never right. worked. He said it doesn't work. And I don't believe it. Uh, I've seen him do it and uh, it didn't work well, but yeah. I was like, man, I liked that a lot. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but that's like I have a joke and I don't know if I've done this at a show. I, I won't. The one liner. It's one of those things where I think like the idea was OK, but the yeah. one joke I like it was uh, I think uh, dictators like like the like teachers could have found out who these bad guys were. I mean, even in attendance, it's like it's like Jeff Martinak. OK, Jason Smith. OK, Ivan the terrible <laughs> better keep my eye on you. <laughs> and it's like, and I think it's so stupid, but it's for me. Yeah, you know, I like. Well, that's that kind of the one-liners are inherent. Like they, you have to like toe the line between dad joke and really smart joke. Yeah, get it to where you know you're not a corny idiot, you know, or you're not a pretentious prick. Right. You've got to walk that line, and it's really difficult sometimes to be able to see which side you're on. It's like that's a funny joke. Right. But not everybody's going to think it's funny because like, well, they'll they'll try to rationalize it. You know, they'll try it. And it's like you can't overthink a, a joke like that. If you do, you're just being a fucking loser <laughs> and you shouldn't go to a comedy. show. So for you, like how how do you know it's a corny joke opposed to like a good joke? If it's like a pun, I try not to do that many puns and which is interesting, interesting because people think that I I like puns and I do puns all the time. So they'll give me a pun and they'll be like, this sounds like one of your jokes and I'll just laugh and leave. Uh, <laughs> like, well, you know, I get, I get the sentiment, but yeah, it's, it's not, I like, you know, like a dad joke or I've got some that are kind of like horny, whatever. And I've pulled them for a little bit. And sometimes like if I'm, if I'm doing like a comedy club in the South where it's a bunch of like older white people, I'll pull out all that shit. Because I'm, you know, I'm up against a wall with a gun against my head in the fucking <laughs> south. It's a nightmare. <laughs> so, like, if I'm if I'm doing Cape Girardeau, Missouri, I'm gonna tell the cornball jokes about getting married or whatever, you know, because these people are gonna like it. I think you have to, after a while, you figure out who your audience is and just kind of learn where the best place is to tell certain jokes. But yeah, I try not to write too much corny stuff. But we're all hacks, so right. who? Who cares? You know, just write whatever you write. At this point, I'm just like lucky to get anything in my head that's remotely clever. I feel like I've written jokes about everything and I can't think of anything anymore. I've been trying to write a circus joke for 10 years and I can't write a fucking circus. (laughs) That's my 
dragon I'm chasing. So if I come up with the corniest circus joke in the world, I'll fucking tell it. Yeah, you gotta I have start somewhere. To lose. Mm-hmm. I told a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, I think I made some sort of dumb joke or whatever, or whatever. And I said, yeah, next week I'll write you celery jokes. I'll write mm-hmm. five minutes on celery, whatever it was. And I did. And I'm like, okay. And like, not all of it was good, but I think I have like yeah. three or four good jokes <laughs> that I can do on yeah. fucking celery. That's, that's important. And like, <laughs> no, and like, it's all like, currency. Like, do you ever say, okay, well, here's a basketball net. Let me see what I can do mm-hmm. with that topic. Or like, does that help you at all? If you've ever done that? I, I used to, I mean, every now and then, if I'm really trying to sit down and write, I'll go to random word generator websites and put like nouns or verbs or whatever, and then try to write something based off of that. But yeah, basically, you know, if I, if I see something in the outside world, I'll try to think of it. Cause it used to, I would get in like a, a writing mode where for about two months out of the year, I would think of nothing but jokes. And then I would lose my fucking mind after the two months and then try to figure out what I've got. And now I, I haven't been able to get in that mode for a little bit, but it's probably coming soon. Hopefully where I'll look at a door and come up with like three jokes for a door yeah. you know, or something, some stupid shit like that. But yeah, it's, it's a very lackadaisical writing strategy. I don't <laughs> do it that much. <laughs> I would imagine that at some point it just becomes homework and then it's not as fun. Yeah. That's the problem with that. And also like doing it for a job is that you're going to grow to resent it a little bit. And I'm trying, I'm still trying to like fight that, like the transition from night, like thing you do after you get off work to it becoming your job has been probably the most difficult thing for me to make myself feel good about or sucks. Cause it's like the only thing I want to do, you know, stand up. When did that change? So, uh, I worked for Delta airlines for like nine years and then COVID hit and they were laying off or they were giving out severance packages. And I was probably going to get fired because I talked a lot of shit on them on Twitter because they really fucked up the COVID protocol. They didn't give us masks or hand sanitizer or anything. So I talked shit on Twitter and they were like, hey, don't do that. And I was like, fuck you. And then I got called in. Yeah, not great. And then I got called into the office. And that, that was like the first time that they were offering like paid leave, basically, for COVID. So I got two weeks off and then I got three months off. Where I could get uh, unemployment, so that ruled. But yeah, after that, I took a severance, and since then, I've worked like some odd jobs here and there, like grocery stores or whatever. But comedy's been like the main thing, and it's also just like getting used to that that workload of having to. Well, I'm not putting in for festivals anymore either. Like I would do ten festivals a year sometimes. I'm not doing that, so I've got to fill all this this time with road stuff and producing shows and. I I don't have a ton of time to think creatively, and I'm I, I don't even remember how at this point. <laughs> I don't even remember what I would do. <laughs> I know my my grandparents have a farm in Missouri, and I would mow it, uh, and that would take like four or five hours. So I would have plenty of time to just like think on the lawnmower, and I haven't done that in like two years. So I've got to figure out how to get in the right mind, like headspace, to come up with brilliant jokes about the circus. 
that lawn has to die. Be, <laughs> that lawn has to be really out of control by now, too. It's been two years, buddy. Buddy, it's it's a nightmare. It's a forest now. <laughs> I, we have not seen my grandparents in two years. Oh, that's there. They're in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, one of them died. Oh, well, <laughs> the other there you fine. go. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. I mean, did you feel like you were ready to? make comedy a career i mean you got your sevens package you were you like okay well it's Mm -hmm. about time i do this anyway yeah so well with the severance package i got like 12 years of free flying oh wow uh, on delta so yeah i'm in like year two of that now so i fly until i'm like 42 or something that's Um, crazy so i've been using that mostly yeah it rules i've been mostly doing that so like the past three months i was just flying around everywhere so yeah most mostly doing that and I knew if I could if I could swing that, I, one I wouldn't have to ask for too much money to where I wouldn't get booked, and I knew that I could at least get there for free. And that was like I've I've taken some pretty low paying shows just because I knew I could get there just to do it, you know, just yeah. to have something to do over the weekend. Like as long as I have a couch to stay on, and someone's picking me up from the airport, I'm good most of the time. If I make fifty dollars, I'm not pissed, which sucks because <laughs> I should value myself. <laughs> <laughs> but that's finally catching up to me. I've done way too many poorly paid shows. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't think there was ever a moment where I thought I was ready. Other, you know, you, you you get ready just by doing those sets and doing longer sets and doing the road in front of different crowds. I really don't know. Like for people in Chicago or like New York City or L.A., they're getting up and doing 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know how they put together an hour without actually doing an hour somewhere. I don't know how they can just stay in the cities that they're at. I mean, I wish I could do that. I wish I didn't get all antsy and have to leave for two months at a time. Yeah. Whenever I work with people from New York City, and basically any showcase city is like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they'll come up and having them do like a half an hour set is like, it's odd because mm-hmm. it's almost like it's a struggle for them to get to a half an hour where yeah. if I have somebody from Syracuse or Scranton yeah. do a half an hour or an hour, it's well, an hour is a stretch for anybody, but like yeah. a half an hour is nothing. And it's mm-hmm. like they're conditioned to work up to that. Yeah. And these people who, especially if they learn how to do comedy in New York city, they're like, okay, well, I don't know. Can I do more than 15? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm asking you to do a half an hour. How do you, you do drove that? three hours. And I'm like, I'm like, do that. And then a lot of people will be like, well, we don't care so much about the money. We want the stage mm-hmm. time. Okay. That's, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I'll try to give you both. Great. Like, <laughs> but like do your time. And, and I, I'm telling you more times than not, they don't do the minimum mm-hmm. I, I'd like. And yeah. I, I just think it's like you're out of practice and yeah. it's a, it's a well, culture they've... shock. If you if they do thirty minutes, that's basically six or seven sets yeah. that they're shoving together, and they don't know what that looks like all put together. And you kind of understand how, like, like Mike Birbiglia will do his working it out tours, where it's like he's on stage <laughs> actively telling people, "I'm trying this stuff." Yeah, because yeah. even him as a big name now, he can run out Union Hall or whatever. Yeah, let's do, but like he can't do an hour at every show he does. No, you know, like there's no way he can do that three times a week in New York City. So he's making money well, on a funny bone by doing that. Yeah. Well, Maria Bamford does like she'll rent out small rooms in L.A. at like, you know, be- between two and five and o'clock in the afternoon and just ask people on her Twitter, like, hey, come see me do this for free. It's, I'm doing yeah. my new hour. 
hop in, whatever. And because she can't get an hour in the city anywhere. Well, she was doing like one on one Zoom shows. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, yeah, talk, bringing people to like coffee shops and just t- telling them their, their jokes there. She's which a is cool. She's a I different know. breed of person. Yeah. That's it, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, just that special with her parents. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I don't I don't care if any joke worked or did work. <laughs> just doing that was like, I don't think I could tell 15 minutes of jokes in front of my parents. Like, there's no way. First of all, my mom would be like, would you please get out of my living room? This is this <laughs> please is not stop doing comedy. Yeah. <laughs> please, Mike. <laughs> we will give you a car. We'll give you a car if you stop doing comedy. <laughs> I would just lie to him. I need a car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would rule. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. Like, I do you feel like uh, Kansas City has made you? Because I'm, I mean, you're what you were a uh, funniest person in Kansas City last year, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, do you think like that prepared you? for Chicago, for, I guess, life on the road. I mean, just that city, did it kind of build you up to what you need? Yeah. Well, I think like, especially when I first started getting out on the road, you had to in Kansas city, cause there just wasn't enough of a comedy infrastructure to really build anything substantial. So you had to go to like Omaha, St. Louis, uh, you know, Denver, wherever it was between four and 10 hours away driving you had to do it and now you don't in kansas city i don't think you have to necessarily do it but and i I would go to chicago every year for five years to do one-nighters and indie shows and stuff too so that um kind of prepared me for a bigger city scene which was i think that exposure to other crowds and other cities and cultures is important just to see get a, a general idea of where you're at because if you just stay in the same city your entire career especially a city like kansas city where there's not it's not like new york or la where there's a million different types of people and languages and all this other stuff like you're not going to figure out who you are as a comedian yeah i've only been to kansas city once i went there to see a royals game it was the royals and a's back in like i don't know the royals are shitty it was before they got good so it would have been maybe 2012 Oh, yeah, when they were in the rebuild. Yeah, yeah, deep. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. God, I forget the name now. He ended up being their left fielder forever. Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon. It was when he was coming up as a third baseman. No, this was, this was like 2007. Maybe. I don't think he was on the team. I think he had come up and uh-huh. he had to go down and learn left field. So, like, yeah. but his, yeah. his picture was on Kauffman Stadium, like, on the outside. And I was like, that's kind of strange. Like, but yeah. he's their best prospect. Uh, so it was that long <laughs> yeah. ago. And was, the only thing we did, was, like, uh, yeah, we didn't hang out in the city. We, we came in and we stayed in independence and we saw yeah. the Harry Truman, the house. <laughs> we're like, all right, that was really all we did. Then we went to the game and the next day we went to St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the saddest mm-hmm. house. And like, like they, it was like a scene at a family guy. And they showed us the video and we got done watching. We're like, they they missed a big part of his history as a president. We were under the impression he dropped a bomb or two <laughs> and they didn't mention that at all. They're like, no, here's his hat. If you want to see it, we're like, well, all uh-huh. right, we'll, we'll settle for the hat. But it was it was it was it was awesome. But I need to get back to Kansas here's, City. Yeah, here's the dress his mom made him dress in. <laughs> yeah, go back. Go to the actual city. The city's much better. What sucks about the the Royals and the Chiefs stadiums is that they're 20 minutes outside the city. Yeah. 
and there's nowhere to stay. I mean, independence fucking sucks. Yeah, it's it's bad in general. Go to the city. Go to like you know ten different breweries and go see the river. Go fuck around. It's fun. Yeah, we just we didn't allow. It. We went you can get shot there. That's fun. <laughs> hey, I've been stabbed. Maybe I, maybe I add that to the resume. Yeah. <laughs> no, we just we Wait went it. for the weekend. We just we got in the car on a Friday or something mm-hmm. like that and drove yeah. through the night. We ended up in Kansas City, saw the game in the afternoon, and then drove back and to St. Louis. We got there. No, no, we stayed overnight in Kansas City. Then we got in, in the car in the morning and saw an uh, afternoon game in St. Louis. So it was and it that was when yeah. I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but I love baseball. Yeah. So it was the year Joe Torrey and Tony LaRussa retired. You know, LaRussa came back, but like yeah. it was the Dodgers and God, it was a long time ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Torrey was managing the Dodgers. It might have been 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So 15. Something. Yeah. It was like, okay, well, we're going to say goodbye to these two legends. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then it was the new Bush Stadium. And oh, my, yeah. my favorite part about Kansas City and St. Louis is like, when you go to those baseball stadiums, those teams' fans are it. Like, yeah. you don't see a lot of different hats. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, we're here to see the Royals. We're here to see the yeah. Cardinals. And it's yeah. just, it's different than going to a game in Philly or New York mm-hmm. or Baltimore. Well, like, the Cardinals are one of the reasons there's not a team in Nashville or Memphis yeah. or, you know, because they have such a stranglehold on the Upper South, which kind of, I mean, I fucking hate the Cardinals. As a Royals fan, which is stupid, but whatever. Yeah, they barely. Uh, they suck. Well, I guess they do now, but yeah, well, they're just cross country or cross state rivals, whatever. But yeah, I can never truly like St. Louis, even though I like going to St. Louis and the comedy there is good. Um, yeah. yeah, I fucking hate the Cardinals so much. <laughs> it's irrational. Well, I'm that way with the Yankees. I'm a Mets fan, and I shouldn't be, but I am. So I get it, but I can never, you know, they you guys only might be good this year. Well, the Mets should be. I mean, they they should. I mean, they won 101 games last year. They, yeah, I know. You know, they, they put more money in, yeah. in, into anything. Than I even. know, but I'm gonna miss the Grom. And you know, anytime a player grows up with the team and he leaves, I'm a little sad. Yeah, it sucks. It's At least he didn't get Correa. Yeah, but I kind of wanted him. I mean, if he's gonna be damaged goods, then I don't. But yeah, it's such a bitch. I hate Carlos Correa. Yeah, I like him, but I like him because I drafted him on my fantasy team seven years ago. And he's been a keeper of mine, so he's just got to play full year. Offensively, uh, got to yeah. play full year. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm still fantasy purposes. I'm still waiting for him to go to third because yeah. <laughs> I've got I've got Corey Seager, and one of them has to fucking move. It's uh, I got Bichette. Come on, I got uh-huh, a long God. jam. Damn, that's a good. That's good. <laughs> I know, I know, it's a good problem to have, but if one doesn't sit the whole fucking time. It's big only shortstops. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Well, we have Jesus a Christ. we have a rule where if like you pick up. A player is a free agent. He goes mm-hmm. to the end of your draft the next year. So uh, like, those guys are free agents for me. So I'm never going to get rid of them until yeah. like one of them like loses a leg. Wow. So I'll yeah. you might. <laughs> I ask everybody this, but do you remember your worst show? Okay, so when initially when you when you told me that we'd be talking about that, I couldn't stop thinking about a very recent trip I took to Denver. Uh, in Colorado, Colorado, Denver, Colorado is probably the best scene in America. Like that whole Colorado, Fort Collins, Boulder, that conglomerate of s- yeah. small cities around Denver, the best fucking rules. But I did one of the clubs. We had three shows and I was closing out e- each show with 20 minutes. So everybody before me was doing 10. Closing out each show was 20. I was really pumped. I never worked this club before. And I was really excited. 
And Mike, I'm telling you, my, my friend Jeff went up before me and Jeff crushed every time. Jeff's really funny. Jeff Nelson, great comic. He destroyed. I went up after him, having to follow him kill three times in a row. Absolutely ate shit every fucking time. And there wasn't like, there was no reason why. It's just they didn't like what I was doing, which I totally understand. But then, like, the second show was good. Fine. I still ate shit. But it was better than the first show. And then by the 10.30 show, I was screaming at people, like, in anger. <laughs> and I was, like, so... If somebody talked to me, some drunk girl in the crowd talked to me, and I just yelled, I will kill you. Which <laughs> <laughs> isn't good. But it was funny. Like, if... <laughs> That show, the 10 o'clock show is the best show, uh, I think, overall, because uh, I had the most fun threatening people. But I feel like when uh, you're a comedian, they don't take you seriously at all, which kind of helps uh, with the police report. After the second show, I had to take a walk to the 7-Eleven down the street and just just to get out of that space for a little bit. And also, I wanted a hot dog. <laughs> and the 7-Eleven... I just remember being so pissed and like me against the world that the Seven Eleven didn't have good buns, like for like hot dog buns. So instead of using a bun for a hot dog, I just took two hot dogs and put them in one of the hot dog things uh, and covered it in ketchup and cheese. Right. And then I just stole a hot dog in anger. And then I just ate a bunch of naked hot dogs on the street, just like <laughs> sold myself. And then that was when I decided, like, I'm going to scream at everybody for 15, 20 minutes. Also, my time got knocked down five minutes for the last show. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <pretty> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> Which I totally understood. I don't know what it was, man. I was, like every time I go to Colorado, I usually do really well and I have a good time. But that that fucking crowd all night, I they just hated me. And it was like pulling teeth trying to get any sort of laugh like continuous like rolling laughter. It was impossible. And like normally I don't have bad like nothing crazy happens really. One time a guy called me retarded which he was like can i he asked me if i could if he could take my jacket off or something and i said why and he was like i want to make sure you're not retarded i was like what the fuck are you what? talking about dude like that wasn't a good show either but he was just an asshole then he like tripped i don't remember it was a whole thing i was in topeka kansas topeka kansas sucks for comedy and uh but yeah nothing crazy ever, i've never gotten anything thrown at me i don't think nobody's ever like yelled at me People have left my shows, but most of my jokes are pretty, like, for the most part, clean and not confrontational. So if, if they don't like me, it's just because they don't like me. Right. <laughs> Which I've come to, I've, it's hard for me to accept that. Like, I'm just telling silly little jokes. <laughs> Is there any part of you that thinks maybe these people are just looking for a good circus joke? Yeah, that's, that's, that, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, Haunts maybe, me. You know, like, like, maybe if you open with that, you'd have kept them the entire time. <laughs> Probably. Oh, now that I'm thinking about it, one time I was doing a club in Kansas City and I was featuring and uh, I was doing, I don't know, fine. It was, it was like the first feature week I got back after COVID. So it was like early 2021. At a certain point, a lady in the back said, uh, yelled at me, when are the jokes going to happen? And <laughs> literally right after that happened, I knocked my water bottle over and it spilled all over the stage <laughs> as I was like trying to think of some comeback. <laughs> and that was just like, all right, fuck this, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just going to do my jokes and finish it off. I did recently, maybe, yeah, about nine, 10 months ago, I did mm -hmm. a show in a small town and the, owner's really happy because 
She's like, oh, we have a big bachelorette party coming for it. Great. And I'm like, awesome. Cool. <laughs> so we get there and ends up being a 17 person bachelorette party. Ugh. And I'm telling you, we had 20 people there. So 16 of these people didn't care. They were in the back <laughs> of the room and just, and it wasn't that they were talking amongst each other. They just stared yeah. at us and just didn't say a word, didn't do anything. <laughs> and I was doing stuff that I just done at a club. And I'm like, all this stuff works. Mm-hmm. The only person at that party who came to watch us, like, like got in the front was the bride's mom. Oh, okay. And I think it was my first or second joke. <laughs> I, I said, fuck. And she uh-huh. covered her ears and she goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, what? <laughs> She's like, please don't say that word. I go, you're in for a long night. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm one of three. Woman. <laughs> and like, I would say like 12 minutes into my set, somebody said, when's the next guy coming up? And I said, in four minutes. And I still, I did my set. And I'm like, what? The only stuff that I got to work was like crowd work. And like, uh-huh. if I made fun of them, they were happy with that. Yeah. Like, Any material? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, all right, you came to the show. It was yeah. your choice. <laughs> yeah, we came to be talked to, not talked at. Yeah. I was like, sorry, sorry. I didn't make you the focal point of How, the show. Yeah. How dare you try to do your art, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> One time, dude, this was, okay, this may have been the worst situational show. It was me and my friends, and uh, one of them is from, like, some small town in Kansas. And the town put together a benefit for one of the people that lived there because he had cancer, and they were trying to raise money for his cancer. Yeah. Because America is a hell a hellhole. <laughs> so uh, four days before the show happens, he fucking dies. Oh, no. So now it's awake where we're f- raising money for his funeral. Austin is like kids or whatever. So we get there. It's a tiny little town, three, you know, maybe a thousand people or something. Uh, they pay us in booze, which rules. I, I'm going up first after the MC who's doing like a slideshow of this guy's life. Like she knew him. Whole town there knows him. 300 people were there. And at a certain point, they, they play like Don't Stop Believing right. during the slideshow. And I'm just like, thank God they're going to be like chipper. You know, this is a good way to end it. And then the MC is like three cheers for Dan, hip, hip, hooray. And then by the set around the half of the second time she said hip, hip, hooray, she started bawling. Oh, no. And then everybody else started bawling. And then she was like, OK, give it up for Aaron Naylor. <laughs> and I'm like hammered. <laughs> I'm just like hammered drunk. We were booze cruising. The sun's still out. We were having a good time. I was just like, well, all right, let's have a fucking whatever. I used to have a joke about uh, Jesus uh, smelling like a dead person or whatever, like a candle of his smelled like a dead person. And I told that joke. And the guy's mom stood up and said, you need to find Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't realize it was Easter weekend either. (laughs) (laughs) it was that was probably like the the early i was like i think i was two or three years in at that point two years in that was probably the worst show but the most fun i had had yet do you think Um, she might have had a point no okay (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not don't pay me an alcohol i was 24 for christ's sake don't pay me an alcohol if you want me to do a respectful bet that's stupid (laughs) i'm a little idiot i don't know what i'm doing that's awesome so what do you want out of this career? I mean, do you have goals that you want to hit? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I want to do, uh, I want to have an album at some point this year, like a special album, whatever. Yeah, I, just, I want what everybody else wants, I guess, like comfortability, <laughs> you know, like 
recognition and comfortability, but I don't want to be famous or anything. I don't give a shit about that, but it would be cool, I guess, for a little bit. I want one TikTok video to go viral. That's what I really want. <laughs> I want one Instagram video to get more than a thousand fucking views. That's it. I think if I'm you, if I'm in your spot, I'd be like, I just need for something to hit so I don't have to pay for my mm-hmm. flights in the next 11 years. Like, like I got 11 years to do it. So like that's, I'm that's saving up for, right. I'm saving up for when I turn 43. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, dude, I don't know. I want, I want this to be a viable option in the long run as a job that I keep and don't have to do anything else. I just had an interview yesterday at an ice cream shop. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to fucking do that. <laughs> they were really nice. I don't want to work there, though. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you doing this. And it was a whole lot of fun talking to you. Oh, yeah. Are you working on anything? Do you have anything to plug? I'm doing some like club stuff in the next like the first half of this year. But I'm trying I'm you know, constantly trying to get more. But yeah, just uh, check out all my social medias and stuff at I am Aaron Naylor and I am Aaron Naylor dot com. I haven't updated that website in a while, but I probably, I I promise I will in the next year. (laughs) Just keep going to it. Refresh, refresh. (laughs) Keep it open. Hit refresh. It'll be there eventually. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, man, thank you so much for doing this. This is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Mike. Wings off inside some Peeling back my sunburned skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in